Welcome to the Mayo Clinic Cardiovascular Continuing Medical Education Podcast. Join us each week to discuss the most pressing topics in cardiology and gain valuable insights that can be directly applied to your practice. Good day. My name is Steve Kopetsky. I'm a preventive cardiologist at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. And today we'll be talking about familial hypercholesterolemia. It's a great pleasure to introduce my colleague and a great asset to our FH or familiar hypercholesterolemia clinic, Ms. Alicia Mickow. Welcome, Alicia. Thank you. Thanks for the invitation and nice comments. Thank you. And Alicia's been uh, played a great role in our FH clinic. She sees many of our patients because <clears throat> she's a constant there every day. We have a FH clinic a couple of days a week, but she can also help all the walk-ins and other patients that come in. So we're going to talk a little bit about FH. And so, Alicia, what is FH? How do we define it? Basically, FH is a genetic variant that patients are born with that cause higher cholesterol and increased risk for cardiovascular disease. We oftentimes see patients who have a very high cholesterol, LDLs of 190 as adults, 160 as children, and oftentimes family history of premature disease. So we put those together, and that's our kind of our clinical definition. Correct. Now, what we have a couple of different definitions, it seems, of FH, or a couple of things we look at. We look at, at the clinical, as you mentioned, uh, which is the family history. We look at the LDL. We look at the at the genes. So how do we how do we put those together? It's kind of a combination of things. Certainly, there are patients who have a high cholesterol, but really don't have family history to go along with it, or they have family history but really have normal cholesterol. We also have patients who have a genetic variant but not high cholesterol. So it's kind of a it's a difficult thing to always discern. So the overlap is not as great as we think when patients have high cholesterol, have disease, have a gene. How do we interpret that? What plays the most important role when you start to treat a patient? And the bottom line is if they have high cholesterol, we address it. We don't, you know, if it's guidelines support an LDL 190, we treat it, get it down you know, as best we can, targets at least 50% reduction, if not a, below 100 for primary prevention purposes. It's certainly working on lifestyle habits, trying to focus on those efforts as well, and see what we can do to modify that. Now, what if a patient um, comes in and we do genetic testing and they don't have any gene we find? You know, what do you tell the patient about a single gene versus polygenetic causes? Well, typically the, the FH genes are responsible actually are, are a monogenic um, presentation, but there's more we haven't learned yet. There may be some other instances where there's not one we know, but there's other genes or polygenic conditions we don't haven't learned yet. And so we can test for the single genes, but not the, the polygenetic is kind of tough Correct. to test for. The, um, what do you do, what else do you test for in these patients? Uh, do you test for lipoprotein A, you know, Yes, definitely. They can, elevated lipoprotein A can definitely be overlapping with FH, but also may, may be a standalone concern that is risk for them. And then um, do we, when we start to see patients uh, that have a genetic abnormality, how far out do we screen? Do we do like cascade screening of these patients? Um, certainly for first-degree relatives, typically it's not, if they have a gene, their children may have a gene or their parent may have a gene or siblings, but if it doesn't always skip generations, it often it's... Yeah. Well, that makes sense. So we tell them uh, first-degree relatives and then just keep going out as long as we find them. Correct. Up Correct. to three levels or so. Mm -hmm. That's very helpful. The um, And how many patients are we actually getting genetic testing on? I would say 30 to 40% of patients I see that are actually forward on to have, let me with a genetic counselor to have the testing done. 
-hmm. approximately. Mm -hmm. So that's pretty good, one out of three or so. And do we treat those patients differently than the ones that don't have a gene? Not necessarily. If, if the high cholesterol is present, we're going to treat them aggressively regardless of cause. And certainly stress the importance of opponent medication has on their, on their risk, but also their lifestyle habits as well. Okay. And then, so when we treat, what? tell me about your treatment uh, you know, algorithm or how you go about. Typically start off with a statin medication as first-line therapy, um, trying to push their LDL primary prevention goal of less than 100. If that's not enough or they have side effects from the statin medication, we may try a different combination of things, adenine, ezetimibe, secondarily, and lastly, a P-cysteine inhibitor if needed. So I know that you have a lot of patients with statin intolerance, or what's termed statin intolerance, probably because they have such high cholesterols, we keep trying to go to higher doses. Mm -hmm. How do you handle those patients, and how often do you see that? Oh, quite often, actually. Because I see those patients in clinic, often they seem like a large population. In bigger populations, certainly less than 10% of people who have, have, higher, or have statin intolerance or take statins or actually have statin intolerance to statins. But starting off with trying a different statin, giving a holiday in between statin choices, um, cutting back to less than daily dosing is often a, a first-line therapy, even starting with once a week of a rosuvastatin, for instance. And if that's, they can tolerate that, maybe going to azetamibe as a secondary effect, uh, medication. And you mentioned the word uh, statin holiday. Tell me about that. How, how big is that? How long is that? Typically, I say four weeks. And when do you institute that? If they've had side effects from a statin, or anytime we do have a side effect from a different statin, we'll stop and give it a holiday before trying something new. And let them wash out. You got it. And why, why do you do that? What, what is that? Just overlap. As medications build in your system to start things off, it also has to kind of wash out of your system over time as well. So it's, if you don't have them, it out of your system yet, you may have return of symptoms quickly with a new statin. So the next statin may get blamed for the last statin the side got effects. It. Correct. Gotcha. So then you, you go to statin, you add in azetamibe if needed, mm -hmm. um, then try to add in a PCSK9 inhibitor. Correct. The, have you gone to the newer agents much at all other than the evolocumab or alirocumab? Not as much yet. Certainly have um, very few patients on bemidog acid. Patients, of course, are concerned about side effects of anything. Once they have some side effects, so trying to walk through that process with them has been difficult. Yeah, it really is difficult. Uh, these patients are sometimes very, very skittish about going Correct. on a statin marketing. Yes, they are. The, now, we have a apheresis you know, clinic and mm -hmm. service here. How often do you think we're using that? Personally, I have not used it at all in my last six years I've been here. Really? So mm -hmm. very rare. I think we have maybe less than a, less than a dozen patients. Uh, mm -hmm. So basically, that it's basically saying your algorithm here, you can get people to where they need to be most times. Yes. Tell me about what you are seeing. You mentioned the less than daily, even once weekly, resuvastatin with azetamibe. Are you seeing that actually work? I have. It is certainly some benefit. It's not, we're not going to get them to a, a good a benefit with daily dosing, but it does offer some benefit, yes. So at least they're taking something instead of nothing. Correct. And then uh, lastly, what about lifestyle? Do you know, a lot of us think that, well, the cholesterol is very high, the LDL is 190, lifestyle doesn't change that, mm -hmm. so why bother? Well, lifestyle certainly, even if there is a genetic variant that causes their high cholesterol, lifestyle is not going to fix it, but it's certainly going to help reduce the risk. Certainly the study you shared with me recently showing that a patient with FH is certainly at a higher risk of heart disease than a person with not, without FH, 
and showing the healthy lifestyle actually does improve that risk quite drastically, over, over a 50% reduction in that risk, where an unhealthy lifestyle actually will increase that risk further. Yes, that's a fascinating, and thank you for mentioning that. We'll put that reference uh, in the podcast here so people can look at it, but it showed almost a four or five-fold difference in, in outcomes <laughs> with, a, with a good lifestyle versus an unhealthy lifestyle, even in the face of having a genetic variant causing high cholesterol. Correct. So that's fascinating. The, um, anything else we need to know about, uh, about this? What about uh, the genetic testing? Are people saying, oh, great, I want my genes tested. I'm really all for this. I want to tell my grandchildren, et cetera. It kind of depends. Some people are all on board and they want to know everything, and some people just don't want to know. So I kind of meet with meet the patient where they're at and ask if they want to. We consult them up with a counselor for a, bit and a consideration of testing, but if they're not interested, I guess that doesn't change our treatment plan. So it doesn't really make that, you know, it's not a, a, va- a mandated thing to, to look into. And what do you have any informational material you give the families or letters, et cetera? What do Certainly. You... There, well, if there is a genetic variant identified, know the genetics counselors do provide a letter that addressed to the fit relatives. So they are able to not have to explain it themselves. They can have it explained to them in terms they understand from the genetics counselor. And how about lipoprotein A? If that's elevated, do you do any cascade screening with that? I do recommend first degree relatives get tested as well, yes. So you, you actually give them material that, that points out, you know, lifestyle is important and, and things like that? Absolutely, yes. Yeah. No, yes. that's great. Mm-hmm. That's great because too many we think it's, many times we think it's just only about the LDL. Correct. And Correct. nothing else. So what's your real goal when a patient walks in your office? You know, if you could achieve one thing with them, what is it? Genetic testing? Is it help them change their lifestyle? Is it to get their LDL down? What? A combination of all things. Certainly knowing that if the LDL is high enough, if it's suspicious for gen- a genetic variant, that would be our, you know, looking at that potential of, of need um, to test further, but also looking at making sure they're watching the healthy lifestyle habits. And I always share it's not going to necessarily fix the cholesterol independently, but it certainly will help lower their risk if they're following a healthier lifestyle, habit, lifestyle habits. I also do look at are there potential secondary causes to this high cholesterol? Are we really missing something that's an obvious finding? such as hepatobiliary disease or nephrotic syndrome, hypothyroidism, and sometimes just a ketogenic diet. The keto diet is, is raising its head here, huh? It is. Now, you go through a lot of charts for all the patients that are referred, and mm-hmm. are you finding some that are actually on keto, and you're saying this may be an issue? Yes, I certainly am. Mm-hmm. Great. Yes, quite often, actually. Yes, well, that's very important. So then uh, summarizing that, it's the uh, nephrotic syndrome, the hyperproteinuria, mm-hmm. the cholestasis, high alkaline phosphatase, yes. and then maybe diet and lifestyle, thyroid disease. Certainly. Things like that. Well, that's great to know. So when should people think of referring uh, to the FH clinic? Great question. So certainly if there's any suspicion for FH, we're happy to see them and, and look at those other things. Just being aware of the secondary causes to rule out before they refer is also, I think, an important piece to, to share with, with other colleagues. You're seeing, we have a, you know, a lot of nurse practitioners in our clinics. I think we're seeing a lot of referrals from our nurse practitioners, which is great, yes. very appropriate, and very mm-hmm. helpful. And, uh, and Alicia, you've just done a great job in the FH clinic. Thank oh. you for being such a mainstay. Oh, thank you. There. My pleasure. Nice. Any, any other uh, parting thoughts or parting words you want to leave with us today? No, I think just being aware that cholesterol can be elevated for many causes, but making sure we're not missing a, a high-risk situation where the genetic cause is in place, especially in the setting of high, um, family history of high, cholesterol, of high cholesterol and or heart disease. Look for those intersections. You got it. 
And don't forget lifestyle. Yes, absolutely not. Even in this disease, it's important. It sure is. Well, thank you, Alicia Michal, for joining us. And for the uh, Mayo Clinic podcast series, my name is Steve Kapetsky. Thank you for listening. Thank you for joining us today. Feel free to share your thoughts and suggestions about the podcast by emailing cvselfstudy at mayo.edu. Be sure to subscribe to the Mayo Clinic Cardiovascular CME podcast on your favorite platform and tune in each week to explore today's most pressing cardiology topics with your colleagues at Mayo Clinic. This has been a Mayo Clinic podcast.